Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. You know, each week I say uh, I have a special guest. And as you know, I really only bring on uh, individuals and experts that I personally really have an affinity with or respect deeply as uh, teachers who walk the path. My guest today is someone I'm particularly excited about. There's a great chance you've heard of him. He's the author of Conscious Eating, Spiritual Nutrition, uh, The Six uh, Foundations for Spiritual Life and Awakening of Kundalini. We're going to get into that. Rainbow Green Life Food Cuisine and many other books. Depression Free for Life, uh, Torah as a Guide to Enlightenment. Uh, He's a a mystic, a spiritual teacher, uh, a yogi. I mean, a doctor, homeopath, uh, the list goes on. I'm not going to uh, uh, share his whole story. I'll let him share that. But I first read his book, um, Spiritual Nutrition, and then later on a few years, uh, Conscious Eating. But I first came across his work as a a kid in London. And uh, I was about 12, 13 years old. I went went up to my father's bookshelf and saw Spiritual Nutrition. Uh, and it really had a profound sort of energetic impact in causing me at a very young age to, to, to rethink my relationship with food. And so it's a, it's a real honor, a privilege to welcome to the Soul Talk com- Conversation, Rabbi Gabriel Cousins. Okay. Welcome. Thank you, Coop. Thank you for the nice introduction. I love it that you were 13 years old and you read Spiritual Nutrition, The Rainbow Diet. That's, that tells me something about you, how advanced you are. Yeah, it was definitely a blessing, definitely a blessing. So I've been excited to speak with you and uh, get to have a conversation and, and, and sort of, you know, imbue some of your wisdom. Uh, for those that may not know of your story, I mean, wow, you, you've 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 been around, you've been on the path. You I share it in this oh, book. Oh wow! Into the nothing. I look forward to that. Uh, for those that aren't watching, it's, 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 it's a book. book. In, into, into into the nothing by Gabriel Cousins is a spiritual autobiography. Put that on your uh, reading list. Tell us a bit about, like, I'm curious how you got started on the path. I mean, such a Ayurveda, homeopathy, holistic, yoga, meditation, Kundalini. I mean, you've been with the yogis and the Muktanandas of the world and, you know, Kabbalah, and Torah. It's like the Taoism you studied. So how did the path begin for you? How did it start? Well, I'm going to do a prayer of merging the heart and the mind because that's the key to it. So as I do that, just see 
we call it wisdom of the heart. Now, that's key to how it started. So a very short prayer. Okay, so my seeking began when I was one years old. I had TB, 1943, no cure, almost a sure death. But my mom had a different idea. So she took care of me. She didn't send me to the sanitarium. This is in Chicago, uh, as I say, 1943. And obviously I survived. And uh, my brother, who I'm very, was very close with, um, he had rheumatic heart uh, fever and uh, rheumatic kidney disease. And blah, blah. So uh, the, what's the, the point? Death. I, at one years old, was confronted by my mortality, by death. And that became the initial thing of my quest. Okay, at four years old, nobody in my family had ever been involved in medicine, and I wanted to be a doctor. I don't know why, but I began to follow the spirit of, of God kind of guiding me. Did I know that? No. Did I articulate? No. I just knew that's what was going on. I had to follow it. To me, that's the core to spiritual life is to follow that still small voice of God and follow it, even if it's not so convenient. Mm -hmm. Okay. It just, you got to keep showing up and let that guide you. And that's really been a key. And then with that is learning to take every experience in my life experiences as an opportunity for spiritual growth. Mm -hmm. So I talk about that a lot in Into the Nothing. <clears throat> but, okay, that's my starting point. Then I, when I was eight, I began having kind of vision. I didn't have a clue what that was about, but mm -hmm. I saw that. When I was 16, my older brother was killed in a car accident. And... I sent me very deeply into meditation, and just spontaneously. I just sit in this room. I built uh, and meditate, and I built a heart-lung machine, almost creating life. It won the science, state science fair, and so, but that's kind of incidental. I'm creating life in the middle of my brother's room. You know, we were that close. So, and then. Um, I also along the way played football and, and uh, began going out of my body, going uh, out of my body is not the right word, going into the ecstatic states of oneness. Because mm -hmm. I found, I found when I went kind of beyond my limits, I went into those states. They're a little different than the zone. It's like another step. My first really stepping into the nothing. Okay. And it just happened spontaneously. I had no training, no background. It's like, oh, this is cool. Mm -hmm. And going deeper. And then when I was 21, my father died. When I was 33, my mother died. And we were, again, really pretty close. And I'm still trying to figure out what is this death? What's going on? What's the mystery? So that was my quest until I met Swami Muktananda. Mm -hmm. And I received Shaktipat from him, which is the awakening of the Kundalini. He actually blew into my mouth. And his prana, his energy went into me. And it's like, 
incredible amount of uh, opening. All the chakras lit up. I saw all the petals. I didn't know there were petals on chakras. It was like, what's going on? And then I went into the nothing. That was my first time into the nothing. When I came back out of that, that's 1975. When I came back out of it, a little voice rang out and said, you should learn to eat and live in a way that supports the Kundalini. Mm. Except I didn't exactly know what Kundalini was. So I began to deal with that because around Muktananda, a lot of people had Kundalini awakenings. I'm a, also trained as a psychiatrist and somehow I got put in responsibility for people having a difficulty with it. Mm -hmm. So within a year I became, we started the first Kundalini crisis clinic, uh -huh. okay? <laughs> which is a trip. Okay. But I'm just, <laughs> so I spent the next seven years with Muktanand, the last seven years of his life. Wow. I lived in his ashram in India uh, and traveled with him. Mm -hmm. Actually me, my family, my two children, like, this is the most important thing. I was like a bull in heat, so wow. to speak. Wow. I'm just going to do it. I have to do it. So part of the message is I was being pushed by the Kundalini, pushed by the Shakti. Now, one thing I learned when I came out of that meditation is I got my answer about death. And I realized there is no death. There is no death. For the self, there's no death. Yeah, the body dies, but the soul doesn't die. Mm. The self doesn't die. And I got it very deeply. And so I got that answer and I said, and I had told myself, whoever can teach me that, that's who's going to be my spiritual teacher, which is Swami Muktananda. It's like I had a question deep. I've been searching for 33 years. There we go. And so I uh, stayed with him in an ashram type setting meditating six hours a day, chanting four and a half hours a day, taking care of family, the kids. And, you know, it was like, it was uh, a full on experience, mm. I'll put it that way. Mm. Um, and at the end of that, I also began working with uh, the first person to acknowledge as liberated in Muktananda's lineage, Swami Prakashananda. I started to kind of, both of them, he would come to the ashram. I would actually go different places in India with him as well. And at some point, he said, you're liberating. It's like, what do you mean? Because I was sharing different experiences, what had happened, mm. that I was no longer identified with the physical body. There was only God um, beyond time and space. So I was, my inner identification was with the nothing. That's just something that happened. I didn't plan it. Mm. But when you meditate six hours a day and you're chanting the name of God, and if you're in your timing, you know, everybody has their own timing here, right? It's not mm -hmm. like you did it. No, you don't do it. Um, what did what happened was that I'm living this life. I'm having visions of all these gods and goddesses having, they've materialized all very strange things of me. And, uh, but they became normal. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, like, for example, I'm, I'm walking with Swami Prakashananda in Nasik where the, there's a big Rama temple. 
I've been and, there. Okay. Well, he lived right on those grounds. Oh. That's pretty far out. Okay. So Sai Baba of Shirdi, who left his body in 1918, materializes in front of me. And okay. And gives me Shaktipat. Like you saw him? Yeah. Not uh, not just me, but so did Swami Prakashananda. So, uh, you know, it's like, and he put out his hand like this, and energy came out and knocked me backwards. So I actually received initiation from him. Now, am I imagining it? Well, that was the first question I asked Swami Prakashananda. It's like, am I imagining it? What just happened here? No, he said, you know, Sai Baba did show up. Wow. So, uh, so those are the kinds of things that were happening to me. I was being initiated in different ways of, from different people, both by uh, like Lakshmi. Uh, that's um, mm-hmm. the, the, the goddess Lakshmi of wealth and spiritual mm-hmm. life, and sort of a Vishnu. Now we got mm-hmm. we're talking yoga here. One day I'm meditating, actually back in the United States, and she appears. And she walks towards me. She's in physical form and merges with me and sends her awakened feminine energy mm. feminine into me and activates that. She mm. literally, literally spiritually impregnated me. It's like, whoa. You know, so those are the kinds of things that happened that that I was being guided. But more than that, they I was being acted on. I'm, I'm not complaining, but <laughs> this is a very real thing. Sai Baba, he materializes, she materializes. So so I have, I, I have a question, and there's, there's like like four questions I have, right? But I'm going <laughs> to go one by one. This is going to be an awesome conversation. Because uh, for those that might not be as familiar of, as, of, of what you're talking about, when, when they're hearing Lakshmi showed up, in front of me and and she was there some people might be saying okay you know dr cousins rabbi hallucinating were you taking some shrooms i mean you know like it, it, how do you know that was really her or not just a kind of energetic configuration representation of your projection in that like what is the difference? Just just explain that in a little bit. Then I have well, another question. To be really clear, I had I was not ever thinking about her. Mm. I'm just simply doing a little mm. fire ceremony in the forest. Nothing. She wasn't the slightest in my mind. And in general, she never played that big a role. But the Vishnu lineage initiation mm. happened. So what I'm saying. I also had an Abrahamic uh, initiation. It's same mm. kind of thing. I'm in a cave above the Dead Sea. I'm without food and water for three days. And it's at night. I have a little fire going. It's that kind of half cave. And suddenly, Abraham appears. Hmm. And he didn't say anything. Neither did she. But... Um, but his energy of love and spiritual warriorship, he was a great spiritual warrior, a liberated great spiritual warrior, but also love. And it just entered me. Mm. 30 seconds, and he was gone. 
so what my experience has been between Sai Baba or Lakshmi, and again, Sai, Sai Baba was the only one that I had a witness. Yes. But they were the same pair. They were the same things. Um, it is my experience is that people, uh, beings of master plane, can materialize and uh, support us energetically. Mm. No, I am not asking. I never was asking for any of that. Right. It's like I'm simply meditating. What's you know? Suddenly these things happen. So um, one of the things in spiritual life is to understand we're never going anywhere and nothing has ever happened. Okay? <laughs> That's the key. But everything has already happened. Mm. Nothing has ever happened and everything has already happened. Mm. So there, for me, there was no goal. There never was a goal. It was just, this is my life. I'm le leading it. Uh, I do my six foundations of sevenfold peace as a way of life that, you know, as a holistic way of life to mm. support the liberation process. Mm. And these things happen. Got it. So honestly, it's not like, the, so, so for those listening that might be goal oriented and they might say, well, wow, I, I, I want to meet Lakshmi tonight. It's not like the goal is to 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 have that experience necessarily, or there's something to do to get her not to show up. Or God. not at all. Mm. I'm just doing it. You know, I'm doing like meditating, you know, six hours a day, doing this, doing that. Things happen. Things so happen. I have no goal. But my, my mm. advice is no goal, because goal is ego. Goal is ego. Living. Living in a holistic way, I call it the path of holistic liberation, is just a natural way of living mm. that takes you to liberation. That's the big teaching my book, Into the Nothing, is simply create a lifestyle. So I talk about the six foundations, seven full pages. Now maybe I'll clarify that. So the mm -hmm. first foundation is spiritual nutrition. We do spiritual fasting retreats twice a year. And we also do uh, what we call yana yoga, yoga of the mind. And my wife teaches the uh, the tree yoga, so we're always doing yoga and different things like that. So it's just it's our life, okay. So that's the point I'm trying to make. And when you're living that life, that's good. So that spiritual fasting, yoga. I love spiritual. I love to dance static dancing so i do a lot of dancing then the the second the third foundation is service and charity and we have programs all over the world uh, diabetes prevention programs uh and organic organic farming programs all mm -hmm. over the, world. the fourth is work uh if people are ready to work with the spiritual teacher spiritual guide because most people need support. I certainly did. Yes. Okay. I had two spiritual masters. Okay. Mm. Uh, so at different points in our time, we need that, but we have to be humble enough to really do it. And then as much meditation as possible and as much Shakti pot. And I'll explain that. But those are the six foundations. So that was my lifestyle. Mm. That was what I was doing. So Shakti Pot 
is the transmission of spiritual energy. Yes. That can weaken the spiritual energy called Kundalini, or we call it in the Torah, Raha Kadesh, or in Christianity, the Holy Spirit, but it's the transmission energy that can awaken it. Mm. Right? That for me started with Swami Muktanan. At seven years, he acknowledged me as a liberator, but he also get, empowered me to give Shakti mm. to be the transmission of that cosmic energy. Mm. So uh, that's all part of the lineage of, of that of part of the awesome. Torah, but also the yogic lineage is the awakening of the Kundalini. Yes. Kundalini is the spiritual force within us that when awakened can take us to the heart of God. Mm. Mm. And all we have to do is support it. Mm. How do uh, the six foundations oh, is a way of life that supports it? Mm. So let's go back to 1975, where this voice rings out and says, Yeah, you should learn to eat and live in a way that supports the Kundalini. So it took me a few years to get that trip together, but I listened to that voice. And that to me is what I'm trying to say. It's so important to listen to the voice. When you receive it, so in terms of the voice, that was one of the questions I I had. How do you, you talk about listening to the voice, listening to the voice of of God? How do we know? How does someone know the difference between the voice of God and let's say, and their intuition or some deeper knowing and their ego or their mind. Sometimes it can be a little, a little sneaky where people convince themselves, oh, this is what I'm guided to, but it's really not. And so give us some discernment keys. There. It's a really great question, first of all. It's a huge and difficult question. It's a great question. So for me, as I explained in my book, Into the Nothing, I have three criteria for it. One, uh -huh. my inner experience. Hey, I hear the voice. And it's same, and that happens like three or four times in my life. You know, it's not like I'm hearing voices, right? Um, I get the message for the meditation. I get, you know, different times. Okay. Two, it has to be aligned with the last, you know, five, six, 10,000 years of spiritual teachings. Mm -hmm. An alignment there. And the third is... It needs to be, in a sense, aligned with uh, with your spiritual teachers. So you, it, there's different checks along the way. It's a check and balance thing. Well, you have your intuition. Hey, it could be anything telling you. Oh, well, is it aligned with the general spiritual teacher? Yeah, is it aligned with your spiritual teacher? See, that teacher also giving it. And right. when all three are in alignment, you can be pretty sure that it's legitimate. Got it. And you mentioned death. Um, it, it, you know, it, it's something that is on people's minds today based on 2020 and the pandemic and COVID. And it, 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 it's always been present, death, life. I mean, it's nothing new, but it is just on the forefront of our consciousness. So how do we, you said you move through the fear of death, a deep understanding. Uh, how does someone who might be struggling with the fear of death right. overcome that, move through that? Where can they start and how do they, how do, they do that? Well, first, let's, you make a very good point. 
they're playing on that. People die. Yes. Nick, what is the big deal here? It's called life. Right. Has that ever not been the case? So they're saying, we'll do this until there's no case left. Well, come on. That's just not reality. Mm. It's an impossible goal. It's a crap. Mm-hmm. Okay. That being said, okay, you know, for, for me, um, when I realized there's no death of the self, I realized that the soul is eternal. When you're connected to your soul, not to your body, but to your soul, then you stop thinking about it. You're not in fear. Mm. You see, because there's nothing to fear. If your soul is eternal, then you know that. Mm. Okay? And you're connected to your soul. That's your center point, not your physical body. And you know it's eternal. What is there to fear? But, you know, I, I, I fully agree with you. We, you, you. You know, we're speaking the same language, you and I. But I, I know, I know there's folks that are going to be like, okay, I, I hear you, Dr. Cousins, the soul is eternal. But, you know, the great ones have said the soul is eternal. But for someone, they might say, but it, I know it, but I don't feel it. And Absolutely. So, and so, so Absolutely. How, do, how, how do they actually move from like repeating that the soul is eternal to actually embodying it, feeling it, knowing it like, is there something that they can do, a shift? How do yeah, they make that shift? It's a great question, right? Uh, it is really good. So it's one thing to know. Yes. Okay. Another thing to have the direct experience, like my book, Into the Nothing. Mm. Okay. And here's the point. As you meditate, as you live this lifestyle, these realizations become part of you. Mm. It's not like you're reading a book Oh, the soul is eternal. That's it. I mean, that's rare to get it that way. But when you're meditating six hours a day or two hours a day for people and you're having the inner experience, when I say into the nothing, I actually mean into the nothing. I mean, you go beyond the mind and the I-ness that's left disappears. Yeah. And there's only the divine nothing. Yeah. There's no left. So that's what that is about. And when you're meditating like that enough, and every day, every day you're experiencing it. You know, for me, I meditate twice a day. I mean, I mm. love meditating. Mm. So, you know, um, that's what's going on. Mm. Mm. I am not thinking about it. I'm experiencing it. Mm. So the answer is when you are actually living this way, the holistic way of liberation, as I describe my book, Into Nothing, you naturally begin to go into the nothing. Yeah. Just what happens. I love that. That's how it works. That's how it works. When you're living it, I think it's so key, because I think so many folks were looking for hacks or shortcuts, but... But there's no, I, I really respect what you're saying in that there's not some magical shortcut, quick one, two, three. It's, it's, it's a way of being. It's a life. It's a cultivation. It's a daily reality. And I think that's so, so important for people to hear and understand. Um, you mentioned something. I'd like you to speak to this. Goal is ego. I love that quote. Goal is ego. Now, 
we live in a world, 3D world. If goal is ego, how do, you, how do we, how do you, I'm curious, but how do we live in a world, 3D world? And do we, are you saying have no goal, have no plan, have no intention? How, how do we live in a world and uh, create and move sure. forward? And, and, you know, maybe you have a goal when you launch a book. Do you, do you not have a goal? Make this a bestseller. Have this be a bestseller. Get it out to a million people. And so speak to that relationship of living in the world, creating uh, an outcome without ego. With, how does one do it? You know, speak to that. So you used actually word intention. Mm-hmm. So I'm in India. I'm in, I don't have a goal to be liberated. I have an intention to keep showing up. Mm. <laughs> to keep meditating. I have a little poem about it in my book. All I can do, just keep showing up. Mm. That's my intention. So when we have an intention rather than a goal, it's like, okay, this is the direction I'm going in. Mm. Whatever happens, going to happen. I'm just going to keep showing up. Mm. Okay. Now, you have to catch an airplane. That is not ego to say, I actually need to get there on time to get through security and do this, that, and the other thing. That is, you know, uh, appropriate functioning. You got time, you got space, you got energy. So we have two places beyond time, space, and energy into the nothing where it's your life and it takes you where it takes you. No goal. Mm. Hey, you got to do your work. You got to show up. Um, in terms of writing books, I never really had an intention to write a book. It just, okay, I just feel this urge to write a book, go for it. Mm. So I didn't ever have a goal to be an author. Okay. Mm. But that's what happened. So, so that I distinguish between the two. Oh, I'm an author. I write books. Fine. That's an identity. Right. For me, there's any. This is just what's happening. I don't know what's coming next. This is what's going on. I'm going to do it. Do you see what I mean? That's a, there's a really mm-hmm. big difference there. So, so it's, mm-hmm. it's living life with abandon, mm. not with this is the way it's supposed to be. You're living with abandon and tuning into the will of God. Yes. If your ego is there, you can't turn into the will of God, tune into the will of God, because your will can't become the divine will. So once you just let go of it all, then that's what unfolds. You just become aligned with the will of God. Mm. And that's how this, well, that's why I like to talk about it as a lifestyle rather than a spiritual practice. Like I'm not practicing. It's my yeah. life. Yeah, it's not it practice. It's not practice for a life. It is life. It is. <laughs> so someone, you, you, you meant, so, that's so, how I live. I, I love the distinction, intention, goal. Um, but let's say someone is, uh, you've had, look, you've, you've clearly worked with people in this position. They come to you, they have a life-threatening illness, okay? And maybe someone listening in has a life-threatening illness or diagnosis. And do they not have a goal to cure that or heal that? How, what is the relationship there? 
uh, like if I come to you and say, oh, I, I've been diagnosed that I have six months to live, should I not have a goal to like beat the, the cancer or beat the, you know, terminal illness? Should I just be like, whatever happens, happens. And uh, okay. Yeah. But it's more than that. Let's say somebody comes, they have diabetes. Yes. Okay? Uh, you know, because I do a lot of work with type 2 diabetes. So how do I heal it is the question. Okay. Yeah. So the first thing is, uh, how did you get there? What were your spiritual imbalances that took you to that place? Um, usually by the time our diabetes program is over, they say, thank you for reconnecting to me, to my soul. So what often happens to people with illnesses is they kind of lose contact with their soul. So the illness comes as a wake-up call. Yeah. So I like to examine it like, okay, what are you getting from this? Why is this happening? Mm. Well, oh, it's about sugar. Could be, but it's it's it is at one level. But at another level, it's a wake up call to reconnect with your soul. So I'm working at different levels. It's like, what's the message? What's the gift? As I, I say, in my book again, into nothing. It's a way of saying all life experiences are a spiritual gift for you to wake up. Mm. So with the diabetes, same thing. What's the gift here? What's the gift? Here? Okay, yes, you need to obviously improve your diet, your lifestyle. But what's the gift that you got diabetes? Okay, it's a wake up call. What? That's an incredible gift. Mm. And as I say, when people graduate from my program, they're saying, "Thank you for helping me reconnect to my soul." That that's what everybody ends up talking about. Because once you're connected to your soul, you begin to love yourself enough to want to heal yourself. Because the light of the soul is so like overwhelming. You God. see what I mean? And then it's like, okay, then you have your motivation to heal yourself. Mm. Rather than, I'm going to heal my diabetes. That's a different kind of statement than, I love myself enough to want to heal myself because I feel connected to my soul and that drive is to mm -hmm. heal. Mm. So I can best develop spiritually. I love that. For someone who might be, let's say, listening and, and going through some physical ailment or disease, can you share any other um, steps or kind of guidance of things that they can do or consider to, to move through that healing journey? Can you point so them the in the direction? the first step is, is to see it as a gift. Mm. Try to understand why you're getting that gift. And then the next question is, how do you grow from it spiritually? Mm. And maybe it means you do a life food diet. Maybe it means you start doing, you know, the yoga. Maybe it means whatever. And so then you begin to put together uh, what it means and then what to do to correct the imbalance. Mm. But you're correcting it not from an ego point of view. I'm going to correct this imbalance. You're trying to say, okay, how do I live in a way that's more steady to heal from this? So it's a, it's a, always the bigger picture. Yeah. First step is reconnect your soul, reconnect to God. You know, see the bigger whatever mm. picture. So that's how I kind of approach it. That's the direction. Beautiful. You mentioned liberation. A few times, and uh, I love the word uh, liberation, enlightenment. 
uh, they could be quite loaded. And uh, what do you mean by that? What 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 do you mean? Just so let's clarify. Like, what is liberation? There's so many different uh, opinions and you know ideas, and so much talk about liberation. Is this? Is that? Is you have no desire? You see, and, and so we. I think there's a lot of mis mis misconceptions. So talk to us. What is it? The first thing is, as far as I'm concerned, I wasn't even clear that it had happened. I wasn't thinking about it. So what's the point? Your spiritual master, Akasha Muktananda, acknowledged it. Mm. So it's not like I said, I'm saying that, if you follow what I'm saying here. Gotcha. So you're looking at people who are already uh, you know, liberated who say, okay, that's true. That is what's happening. I had no clue. I'm just sharing experiences of what's going on for me. And I'm in, living in the nothing and nothing's happening. And oh my God, <laughs> like, where am I going? Nothing's happening. Yeah. And, and then somebody who, who's been acknowledged says, oh, yeah, well, that's part of it. That's and part of it. That's what's mm -hmm. going on. So people do have different kind of ideas. And, yes. um, this again isn't my idea, just what I was told by acknowledged liberated beings. If you follow what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Now, what was part of that? Well, I was uh, and I am, you know, living in the nothing, um, mm -hmm. not identified with physical, emotional, mental, or even the spiritual body. There's only God, there's only the oneness. Mm -hmm. And with meditation, other things, I go beyond any identification with body whatsoever we do need a body we're sitting here talking we need a body okay yes a functioning body so um doesn't mean you don't take care of your body doesn't mean you don't take care of your mind or your relationships but it's not what it's about that's just taking care the bigger mm. picture is you no longer identify with it and there's only god there's only the one. And that's the end of the story, so to speak. And then there are different levels of that. Self-realization is, you know, the, the self, which is, again, beyond time, space, and energy. But, and then into the nothing is another level of that where you know you don't even exist. Mm. You're no longer buying the illusion that there's a separate I. Now, do you have to be 100% that? Not really. You know, mm. um, Prakashana explained it to me. He said, well, look, you're at the beginning parts. I mean, this is 1982. <laughs> okay, you're at the beginning part of it. I'm somewhere in the middle of it. You get more and more into the oneness over wow. time as long as you're living the lifestyle. Uh, liberation doesn't mean you stop. It yeah. means you intensify. Oh. So, uh -huh. And I'm always seeing myself as a beginner in every step of the way. I'm always starting over. So there's mm. kind of an attitude of, I haven't arrived, and I never hope to arrive, because that isn't what the point mm. is anyway. It's just mm. become more awake, more into the nothing, uh, more, less and less and less, and to no identification for that. I'm trying not to speak in absolute because that's yeah. what people get off. If you're 52 percent 
you know, <laughs> identify. That's the beginning part of liberation. Yeah. Yeah. Another level, Muktananda's guru, Nityananda, was totally merged into the one. That's another level. Another level. It's a spectrum. Mm, I like that. Wake up and say, no, I am not that. Mm-hmm. They're quite right. We have I amness. I'm no, you're not identified with I am this, you identify with I am that, which that is everything. No one is everything. But there's no I ness Right. You said a few times. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. The intensification. You said a few times, uh, and I want you to clarify this for those listening. There is only God. And and you know, I think when we tune into that, there is a depth of just truth that rings from that statement. Like there is only God, you know? I want you to explain that because when we look at the world, disasters in the world, there's, you know, human trafficking, right? In the world, there's police brutality, seeming atrocities in the world. It's easy to say, wait, 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 Dr. Cousins, what do you mean there's only God? Look at this president, look at that person, look at that, you know, uh, uh, abuse. How is there freaking only God? How can you say there's only God? There's just pure evilness. That person is pure evil. And so, you get it? Yes, I, I need a good question. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Because it's what's on people's mind. Yes. Okay. So, everything comes from the one. Mm. Evil, good, they all come from the one. And if we see it that way, there's only God. Mm. Now, if we say, for me, there's evil, this evil thing happened, then you don't get much in that. If you say, okay, evil just threw me a curveball, and how can I grow from that? Because all experiences are an opportunity to grow spiritually. Mm. So it's your perception. The world is as you perceive it. The world is as you believe it to be. So the perception is, this is a gift from God. It may be really what people would call evil pointed at me. Or it may be really good, but it's still a gift. Mm-hmm. So everything comes from the one. So we have a, a, a prayer in the Hebrew. It's the many and the one called the Shema. God is one in the many. Is the one in the and many. And that's key. Yeah. So we have the oneness, but there's then also the differentiation that happens. Mm. And that many is where people start to get confused. But mm. if it's the angle of the mind, is what I'm saying. If your angle of the mind is, okay, this is part of the many. I may not personally like it. I may think it's evil. I mean, somebody else may think it's good. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Mm. It is. And my role, if I'm going to grow spiritually, is take whatever that is and turn it into a spiritual opportunity. Yeah. So it's it's in the eye of the perceiver of what you're going to, how you look at it and how you approach it. Mm. Yeah, in the, in the perspective and the perception of what might look like evil based on the interpretation. And I think many times then we are perceiving something as good or bad based on also the state and level of our own consciousness. And and like I think of Mandela, right? I mean, put in prison for 27 years, 
was that evil? Well, what if it, if he wasn't put in prison for 27 years, would he have had the impact? Yeah. Got it. That, that's the point. So we just don't know what, you know, that was his spiritual sadhana, his spiritual yeah. practice. Yeah. And yeah. he came out a great man. I want you to. I know some people who actually knew him. You know? mm. So, I want you to. It was to, awesome. Go yeah, ahead, I, I want you to address something, I and mean, this might be, but I think it's important. I, I'm really personally curious on your uh, response, if it's okay to, to, to ask you, um, because I think certain things have come to light uh, over the last couple of years of modern day teachers, um, and you know. Uh, sort of indiscretions, you know, uh, things that have happened, uh, uh, teachers who have maybe abused their power in some way, um, like John of God has come to light, and, and whether, I mean, whether it's true or not, it's, it's come to the media. And so uh, over time, there have been, let's say, spiritual gurus and teachers that have supposedly been enlightened and uh, famous ones, and, and, you know, certain things have been said about them, you know, sexual this and abuse of power and what have you. And so um, I want to speak to that. And, and so how is it possible, I mean, for, let's say, an enlightened being to do seemingly uh, evil or painful things? Because the two don't seem to go together. If someone says, this enlightened being sexually abused me or raped me or this, this, or did that, or, you know, like, the two, the two don't seem to go together. Now, I'm not saying they did or they didn't. I don't know. I wasn't there. But we hear things, and I'm sure it's happened. And, and so speak to that, because uh, I think we're in an age where things are coming to light. Uh, and, and I think... As a humanity, we're being called to a, a higher level of embodiment and integrity. And so, how is it possible for someone to be like enlightened and then yet doing this? So, I think the point is a very good question, okay? Like, what's going on here? Yeah. It's really the question what's going on? So, um, so, first, is there a difference between 52% or 51%? Enlightenment or 100%. Right. So you have that other 48% still playing out. Uh -huh. So once we let go of the idea that enlightenment doesn't mean you're perfect. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I write about the issue in my book because it's a huge issue. Yes. What you just. But the, the first thing is people really aren't perfect. So we, we, and I point out in my book, it's really important we give up the idea that because you're liberated means you're perfect. Not true. Just mm. not true. Now, some of the gurus, you know, played that game. Yeah. The perfect guru. But it's, it's not true. Okay. So, so the problem gets created because mm. you have kind of gurus who play. Um, play it up. You know, you're perfect. Yeah. And it's a wake up call for everybody to grow up. Yes. Okay? Yes. Yes. So, just because you're liberated doesn't mean you're perfect, number one. And number two, 
one of the things, and I mentioned my book, that really gets people in trouble is uh, in the different levels of, of liberation, you think you're above it all. And the truth is all the concepts are relative. But the problem is, even though they're relative, you still have to honor them. Or it gets people totally bent out of shape. Mm -hmm. So we can say, you know, different cultures, uh, you know, have different belief systems about what is appropriate mm -hmm. and what isn't. Mm -hmm. So the message I got, because it's a pretty important question, and Prakash had explained to me, it doesn't matter if you really if you realize that everything's a concept, you still have to honor the dharma or morality of the situation. Mm. That's a huge mistake. Particularly, well, different levels of enlightenment, you think you're above it all. It's true. They're just concepts. It is true. And if you don't hold that morality, yeah. it completely gets people mixed up. Yeah. So I make a very strong point in my book, and I try to follow it in my life the best I can, mm. um, the whole dharma of the society. Mm. I may know that these goals moralities that but i'm going to hold that down the best mm. i can you know as a as a human being you see that distinction the mistake mm -hmm. that people make is they think they're above it and don't have to follow it yes yeah that's a good point and that's an egoic mistake remember uh -huh. being liberated doesn't mean you have no ego okay it means you have less ego to get you in trouble but you're also more vulnerable to making bigger mistakes if you think you're above it all. Mm. We aren't. No one is above it all. And if we have that humility, then we're way less likely to get ourselves above. Got it. Beautiful. Final few questions, uh, Dr. Cousins. Uh, I mean, being, being isn't that easy. Wow, being, being, a being, being a human being is definitely not easy. It takes a lot of courage. Sometimes feels it's easier to stay up in the heavenly realms, you know. So to all the ones listening, I think uh, we deserve to give ourselves a little credit, cut a little slack. Uh, it takes a lot of courage right. to be human. Uh, fasting is, is something you, you, you're known for as well, uh, spiritual fasting. Fasting is something that is becoming very popular, a bit kind of, uh, an awakening of fasting in our culture today, the last couple of years with uh, mostly for sort of biohacking health uh, reasons, but uh, intermittent fasting. And so I just would love to hear your thoughts on fasting, uh, why it is something that is, is powerful. And maybe for those of us that are beginning to dabble, to, to, to sort of consider fasting, what might be a good way to start so that we can experience the full benefits of fasting? So I, we have two spiritual fasts a year, spiritual fast, okay? Spiritual fast. Oh. And there's seven-day cycles because that's the kind of the best for the overall flow of things. That's a longer discussion. Mm. But here, here's the point. Fasting has to do with your intent. For me... As we run our spiritual fasting retreat, which we're now doing over the internet, we have one coming up on, in uh, late April, but we're doing mm. over the um, You have the physical detox, 
Mm-hmm. You have the emotional detox, you have the mental detox, and you also have the spiritual detox. So I see fasting, from spiritual fasting now, because that's what we do, mm-hmm. is, a help, is a way to help people reconnect with their soul. Mm. That's the number one. Second thing about it is most people have lost their holy rhythm. Life is so chaotic and so busy that we forget who we are. So to me, connecting, reconnecting with your holy rhythm is pretty, very, very important. So that's another goal that I have. And then most people have lost track of their, what's their purpose in life. Mm. So in spiritual fasting retreat, again, we focus, we ask the question, and I think, why are you here? What's your special dharma? What's your special life work? What's your sacred design? So we pose certain questions in, in that process. So when you get holy rhythm, reconnecting with your soul, reconnecting with the meaning of life, to me, that's what fasting is about. And that's really what they did, the ancients did. It was always a spiritual practice. I mean, you have mm-hmm. Socrates, Pythagoras, you have you know, Moses, and Jesus, and, you know. Mm. Everybody always fasted. It's the oldest spiritual technique there is, mm. pretty much. Okay, so why are they doing that? Well, it deepens the connection with the soul. It, 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 you let go of all your uh, outer body attachments when you're fasting. So people use the word you know, intermittent fasting. That is not really fasting the way I'm talking about. It. Oh. The minimum seven days which is what we do, and then a day to come off. Uh, the, the first day or two, you're starting the detox. Detox may happen from day two to four. After that, the toxins are out of your bowel, they're out of your brain, and then you begin to really fly. Mm-hmm. So it's like a seven-day cycle, which is an earth cycle. Now, during this time, when we're doing the spiritual fast, we're People are getting Shaktipat meditation twice a day. We're doing the, uh, the yoga. My wife is teaching the, the yoga, which we get into over the internet. We have spiritual uh, questions and answers. We have spiritual mm. talks. In other words, it's a whole process with one focus. Remember who you are. Reconnect to who you are. Reconnect to your truth. And so at the end... Fasting is a very powerful way to reconnect to your soul. And that's really our emphasis. And then your holy rhythm, your holy purpose. Um, and so that's how I see, that's how I define spiritual fasting. That's different than a physical fast where all you're doing is taking juices and yes. just doing it. It's a very different thing. So, um, but at least seven days for the cycle. Right. Detox, mental detox, which usually happens on third and fourth day. Motion mm. before they, you know, you have a physical detox starting at day one, two, three. You see what mm. I'm saying? Mm. And then you start to have that spiritual awakening energy, day five, six, and seven. Mm. So, uh, and what I determined because I've done a forty day fast and twenty wow. one water fast, and I'm an explorer. I explore, right? So that's so what I do. The best, most efficient is a seven-day uh, 
green juice fast, no sweets, because you're trying to rebalance your body, where we dilute the juices in half. Mm. So it's it's not a water fast, but you're not getting, you know, all the nutrients. So you feel so you're not feeling like you're not fasting. So that's what we do. And as I said, we meditate twice a day. We we do all of these things, mm. um, you know. But we have a lot of support mm. because this is a wake up time for people. Yes, this is the right. time that we connect to your soul. So we do that. That's the the setting. Mm. Mm. Okay. So that's the concept. Uh, it's a it's a reactivation of being in the truth. Yeah, fasting, huh? The spiritual fasting, I really love that because it's become such a like a physical thing with the intermittent, you know. And it's great. I think it's still wonderful, but it's a purpose for sure. Yeah, yeah. But the mental, the emotional, the spiritual connection to soul aspect is is really beautiful. That's the way it's been for thousands of years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jesus went up to the mountain top and fasted, and you know many of the great ones have fasted for for a reason. Yeah, I think it's 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 really really important. Um, final question, uh, and I've loved this in this this conversation so much, and uh, it's been so. It's good. You you asked me really good questions. So thank you. Yeah, it's been, been a beautiful conversation. Um, if you were to reflect on your entire life and the decades with which you've lived, I mean, the richness of what you've experienced. And you were to look at the ups, the downs, I won't say mistakes, but the learnings and, and things that you wish you had done differently. And, you know, being in a relationship, uh, kids, life, work, teaching, different cultures. And if you were to think of the three most imp important lessons that you feel you've learned in this lifetime? Obviously, there's more than three, but if you were to distill them to the three most important lessons that you feel, if you could only pass these lessons to these three to the next generation, that you feel these three would evolve the next generation's consciousness the most, what would those three, we'll call them cousins keys, be? That's a really big question. So first... There is no death for the self. Mm. That's a big issue today. There is no death for the self. The self is immortal. Neither lives, dies, does not get reborn. It's just eternal. It's immortal. So if people just knew that, life would automatically get way better. Yeah, yeah. The second is nothing has ever happened and everything has already happened. Mm. Meaning we're not going anywhere. And the third is cultivate as much spiritual joy as possible because it's spiritual joy that opens up our hearts to the divine. Beautiful. Cultivate as much spiritual joy. There's no death for the self. Nothing has ever happened. Everything has already happened. Three keys to really uh, meditate on there. Folks, yeah. you heard it from the uh, the amazing Gabriel Cousins, Rabbi Gabriel Cousins. Uh, such a joy being on the uh, on this conversation with you. Um, can you just assign uh, before I ask you, you to share the best website and how people can get in contact? Could you just assign, uh, let's say, a simple practical homework assignment 
that those listening in could immediately, like one thing they could immediately right now before going back into their lives, they could go and, and do that might make a difference for them. Please. So I'm going to just talk about into the nothing because it lays it all out. Nice. So everything we've said is, is reinforced here. Mm. So, I mean, people need that reinforcement. It's really, really important. And to me, the, the biggest thing is to meditate. Meditate. Yes. That brings you to the truth. Mm. Uh, and that kind of brings us to the next step is, okay, so I'm teaching meditation over the internet. I have uh, several times a week, I give Shaktipat mm-hmm. meditation over the uh, internet. Shaktipat are what we call Haniha. It, wow. it blew my mind to understand that you could actually give it to your eyes over the internet. But it does happen. It's very real. Wow. And so uh, we talk about how to meditate. You get Shaktipat uh, uh, awakening. I'm doing that three times a, a week. Uh, and if people want to find out about it and access it, they can just go to drcousins.com. That's pretty straightforward. Or we have a whole community because today people need a lot of support. There's, mm. a, there's so much going on. So it's treeoflife.mn.co. So it's drcousins.com or treeoflife.mn.co. And they it tells you the different workshops. We do fasting, spiritual fasting. Once a month, I have a meditation retreat, which is a good way to learn how to meditate. We meditate three times a day. Awesome. And we have a variety of other courses that are available. So mm. that's probably the most functional way to maintain that contact and to mm-hmm. let it you know, keep it growing that way. They mm-hmm. have to show up. Yeah. That's the deal. I mean, it's not something you play with in your mind. You actually have to show up and be part of that work, and then grace comes. Two ways of work, hard work and grace. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I think grace. Many times we pray for grace, but we don't do our part, and we want we want the universe to do it all. And so, yeah, I, two ways: hard work and grace. And grace. Yeah, I think I think more grace comes when we do do our part for sure. Doctor Cousins, you're a legend. To me, yeah. anyway. and, uh, good to work with you. you great amazing. interview. You asked really deep questions. So thank you. Thank you for coming on Soul Talk, folks. I told you this was going to be a, a very special interview today with the amazing uh, Dr. Gabriel Cousins. You can check out his website, uh, drcousins.com. Uh, we'll put all of the links in the show notes, everyone. So check out all of his amazing work and pop on one of his Chakdipat meditations. I think your life will be tremendously blessed. Uh, check out his book, Into the Nothing, a spiritual uh, autobiography. I, w- I will check that book out myself. Uh, send me an email, folks, kublaxon at kublaxon.com. I would love to uh, hear your key takeaways from today's episode. And uh, you be blessed. May you be blessed. May all the listeners be blessed. May you be blessed to continue this good work, to really expand the consciousness. And all the listeners, all your listeners, may they know they're blessed by being able to listen to you and expand consciousness. Awesome. Well, folks, it's been it's been an enlightening episode. I hope you've uh, your heart is expanded and you're 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 marinating on many things. And so, as Dr. Cousin said, go meditate, 
Go meditate, go meditate, do your part, grace will flow. Send me an email. I want to hear your key takeaways from today's episode, Kuplaxon, Kuplaxon.com. And uh, definitely download this episode, share it on social media, share it with your friends, and I'll catch you in next week's episode of Soul Talk. Love now. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.